It's good to see you this evening. Good to have a good number with us. Uh, if you want to get out your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 27, that's where the lesson will uh, begin this evening. We're going to try to cover about five chapters. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to read it all. Uh, I'll be summarizing two chapters in a few seconds, so it shouldn't take too long for that. Uh, but we're going to be continuing our study, looking at the life of David and, and learning some valuable lessons for ourselves and learning learning more and more about uh, who David was and who Jesus is as David shines a light for us uh, to Jesus. When we get to... Uh, I learned. Turn it on. Uh, when we get to uh, chapter 27, it starts off, verse 1 says, uh, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul... There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. When we get to the 27th chapter, uh, we see David having a desire to go into a foreign land. And it's perplexing to us as he makes this decision. Uh, we wonder why he's making that decision. Well, the answer is found earlier in chapter 26 when he's speaking to Saul. Uh, back in chapter 26, Saul for a second time has come out to kill David. You know, We can't number the total number of times that he's attempted to kill David. But for the second time he's attempting to kill David and David spares his life. He takes his spear and his water jug out of the camp. He, everybody in the camp is sleeping. He goes outside the camp and he yells at everyone and he tells everyone, you know, I just had a chance to kill Saul again. Uh, but what he says is very interesting in chapter 26 because he not only calls out the, the general uh, that's under Saul's command, but he tells Saul that those who are speaking against me have driven me this day out of Israel. They've driven me out from the heritage of Israel that I should no longer share in that heritage. We see David is, is concerned enough with the fact that Saul has perpetually come after him, that he feels as though there is no other option than to leave the promised land of Israel and to leave Judah in order to preserve his own life and the life of those with him. And also, though, in that, in that, in that uh, passage, in verse 20, he says, "...let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord." We see that even though he knows he must now leave the land, he makes that decision, even though he knows that that has to happen, he is still relying on God saying, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. He's still looking to God to deliver him, even though he knows he, is, he must now go into the foreign land. So where is David going to go? Well, he goes to the place where we would never expect him to go. The place where he had been before, earlier, as he was running away from Saul. He goes to the land of the Philistines, the ultimate enemy of Israel. And he goes to the, the Lord of Gath, a city in Philistia, and you might recognize the name Gath. 
That's the city where Goliath was from. David's going back to this city, to the Lord of this city, in order to find refuge from Saul who has been seeking to kill him. Well, Achish is very gracious toward David. It seems as though God is preparing a table for David in the presence of his enemies. You remember from Psalm 23. Uh, It seems as though the enemy is preparing his table for him. Achish welcomes him. It's like David has killed the the champion of Gath, the champion of the Philistines, and now Achish sees this opportunity and he welcomes David in to now be the Philistines' champion. Not only does he welcome him in, but this king of the, the Philistines gives David the city of Ziklag. And him and his 600 men and their wives and their children can now take residence in a city that's uh, in the southern portion of the Philistines. This is a city that back in the book of Joshua was, was given to the land of Judah, was promised to the land of Judah, but they never came in and captured it. And here David is given the city by the Philistines. They just give it over to him without any fight whatsoever. In fact, as we see David come into this city, he starts to conquer other cities that are around him. The the Gerizites and the Geshurites and the Amalekites. He goes into those cities and he wipes them out and he raids those cities. He kills everyone in the whole city. And he takes the plunder and he goes to Achish and he gives the plunder to Achish. And he he tells Achish, this is from my raids in in Israel. And so Achish thinks that that David is fully loyal to him. And so Achish thinks everything is going great. David has a great setup. In fact, he lives this way for about 16 months until the day comes... When Achish calls on David to help him with something. Look at what Achish tells him in chapter 28. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men will go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This whole time, David has been playing both sides. He has been sitting on the fence. He has not been raiding Israel, but he's been making Achish think he has. So he's not acting out against his home country, even though he's run away from the home country. But here, the Philistines are coming up against Israel. And there's this great battle that's about to take place. And Achish says, you and your men are going to go up with me to fight in this battle. David doesn't even miss a beat, does he? You will know what, what your servant can do. And Achish is fully convinced, says, you're going to be my bodyguard for life. He tells David, you're going to be the guy that you should have been for Saul. Saul rejected you and got jealous of you, but you're going to be my bodyguard. You're going to be my military presence. 
You're going to help me. So what's going to happen in the story? Where is, what is David going to do? Is he going to actually fight against Israel? Is he going to actually side with the enemy and make himself a stench to Israel? Well, the story doesn't tell us right off the bat. The story takes us to Israel and takes us for just a minute to Saul. You know, Israel's coming up into battle as well. And Saul looks out, they're in the valley of Jezreel, and he looks out and he sees the host of the Philistines. And Saul's heart is terrified. Saul is terrified at what he sees. He sees no hope that he's going to be able to win this battle, and he starts to wonder. So where's Saul going to turn? He's going to try to find word from the Lord. But there's a problem. Saul has no prophet. The text reminds us, Samuel has died. You remember Samuel who he refused to listen to? Samuel who uh, rejected him, who he tore his clothes? Samuel who never spoke to him until the day that he died? Samuel's now dead. He can't go to Samuel now. It's too late. He can't go to a priest because he wiped out a lot of those priests in Nob. And and the Lord's not giving him any vision. The text tells us that he goes and he seeks to find a medium. That's someone literally saying someone who digs the pit in order to uh, communicate with the underworld. David goes and seeks this person who is basically a witch in order to somehow communicate with Samuel who is dead. After after Saul has wiped out the mediums in the land, he's, he's gotten rid of them, now he is seeking to find them. It's against the law to find the, to, to deal with these types of people. But Samuel awakens. God allows for this medium to, to bring Samuel. He awakens and he speaks to Saul. But the words to Saul are words of condemnation. Samuel tells Saul, the Lord is now your enemy. And the Lord is going to kill you in this battle. And He's going to kill your sons. And He's going to defeat Israel. Many of your own soldiers are going to die. You ever think, why does God redirect us to know this information? Well, now we have something revealed to us that we've been wondering about for quite some time. When is Saul going to die? When is David going to become king? What about David, though? Think about David. Up until this point in the story, all that you know is David is coming up to fight the Israelites. And now we find out Saul and his sons are going to die. Is David going to kill the Lord's anointed who he has spared twice before? Is David going to kill Jonathan and his, and his brothers who he has made a covenant with Jonathan? The text takes us back to David. And we know that David can't do this. This just wouldn't be right. This would be a compromise of what David has been working toward all his life. Well, as we look into chapter 29, 
we see that the Philistines all meet up at Aphek. And they see these Hebrews. And this is before they get to Jezreel. So it takes us back in time a little bit. They see these Hebrews. And the commanders of the army are saying, what are these Hebrews doing here? We don't trust them to fight with us. They'll turn against us. And then David will make reconciliation with Saul. And and they refuse to allow David to go out and fight. Achish fights for David. He argues on David's behalf. He says, David's been loyal. David's been honest with me. He has been right with me. But still David is rejected and forced to return. David is saved from fighting against his own people. But even though David is saved from this battle that's about to take place, on his way home, as he's coming and approaching the city of Ziklag that has been given to him, he and his men see smoke on the horizon. While they've been gone, someone has come in and raided their city and taken captive their wives and their children. Imagine that. Imagine your journey as you've gone about 60 miles on foot and you're, you're looking forward to being home with your wife and your children and you see smoke on the horizon where your city is. You start running to find out what has happened. To find nothing remains. Your wife, your children, they're gone. All your belongings, all those great blessings that you've been given, they're burned up or they're gone. They're taken. It says that David and his men weeped until there was no strength left in them. They could not weep any longer. They felt lost. They had nothing. That grief turned into anger. And that anger got pointed at David. Those men who had fought with David, who had been alongside David for more than ten years, are now turning on David and seeking to stone him. What does David do? David is in a foreign land. But he still seeks the Lord. David turns to Abiathar the priest who made it out of Nob. And turns to God and asks God for help. Look at what's said in chapter 30, verse 7 and 8. David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. That's what the priest would wear. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. David looks to God and he finds salvation. God is going to deliver those who have attacked his home city and and taken his own goods into David's hands. Well, all of those men 
who are about to kill David decide to follow him and they all head south. As they head south, they don't know where they're going. Remember, that they show up, there's a city where everything's burnt and everyone's gone. Their wife, their children, they've been taken captive. They're now going to be sold for uh, human trafficking. They head south. And they find a man who's sick, who's about to die. And they stop. They don't keep going. They stop. And they help the man. Well, that man turns out to be an Egyptian who served the Amalekite. Who was one of the Amalekites who had just made raids on southern Israel and Ziklag and burned it with fire. An Amalekite. What does that remind you of? That's the one David had just been raiding, right? But that's also the one that we find out in Exodus was coming in behind Israel and was killing off those who were weak in the back of the tribe. And that's also the group of people that Saul was supposed to utterly wipe out. But he failed. David has been raided by the Amalekites and an Egyptian who served them reveals this to him. Well, David is finding out finally what has happened, what he must do, where he must go. So he and 400 of his men, 200 were too exhausted to go with him any further. He and 400 of his men take that Egyptian to find out where the Amalekites are. And when they get there, they find them partying and enjoying the spoil. And they're all spread out everywhere. Not a care in the world. Those Philistines, they're up in northern Israel fighting. The Israelites, they're up in northern Israel fighting. We've got nothing to worry about. They don't have a soldier anywhere near us. And David and his 400 men come down. And they conquer those Amalekites. And there are so many of them that it says that David and his men are killing them from that evening all the way through the next day until the next day at twilight. All day long, they're out there killing off Amalekites and and retrieving their plunder and retrieving the wives and the children who have been taken captive. There are so many of them that it says only 400 of them got away. And that's equivalent to the number of men David had with him in battle. So they've been killing all night long. And they retrieved back every single person the Amalekites had taken. They received back all of the plunder that was taken. And there's a great spoil. And it says that... All that spoil was shared with David and and with all the men, but David got the majority of it. You see, God rescues David. God saves David even in a foreign land. He gives David, the Amalekites, into his hand, even though he only had 400 people. David's response to that great act of salvation is to continue to show grace. He showed grace to the Egyptian on the side of the road, just hearing the promise of God provoked him to show grace to this 
uh, Egyptian who was sick and nearly dead. And then he continues to show grace. Those men, those 400 men who go with him to battle, they say, we'll give back the wives and the children to those 200 men who couldn't fight with us. And David shows grace twice. First of all, he says to those men who are called worthless, who, are, who fought with him, but who don't want to give any of the spoil to the 200 men who do nothing. He calls those men brothers. He says, my brothers, we can't do that. We can't withhold the spoil from those who stayed with the baggage. And he shows a second grace to those who stayed with the baggage by giving them an equal portion with those who went out and fought with them. But not only that... David also gives to the elders of Judah some of his spoil. Those who have helped him as he's been on the run and helped hide him and provide for him, he pays them back with some of this spoil, saying this is from God's enemies. This is the spoil that God has provided. But the story doesn't end there with the salvation of David, right? We've had this big battle that's going on that we need to know more about. What's going to happen? You know, it says Saul's going to die. Well, chapter 31 and 2 Samuel chapter 1 tell us about Saul dying. Saul sees his own sons killed in the battle. He is left alone with his armor bearer. And the Philistines are on their way to come get him. So what does Saul do? He asks the armor bearer, kill me. (laughs) I don't want to be taken alive. The armor bearer says, I can't do that. So Saul kills himself. He falls on his own sword. And the armor bearer does the same thing. But there's an interesting twist in the story. Because... Saul fails to do it right, it seems. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, a man comes up to David with the crown of Saul to give to David. But guess what? Saul, who had been on his sword, who's then defenseless, unable to do anything against himself, was lying there about to die, but unable to die. He apparently did that wrong too. And while he's sitting there defenseless, who shows up to Saul? An Amalekite. Who does Saul ask to put him to death? An Amalekite. There's such poetic justice in how this story ends. The ultimate salvation of David is seen in this story. Not only does God save David from the Amalekites... When they raided Ziklag, he saves the wife and children of David and all those men. But God also kills David's enemy Saul. The anointed one who David himself could not kill. The only one who was standing between him and taking the kingship. God finally delivers the promise that He had given him half a book ago, back in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Finally, Saul is dead, and now we can see David rise to the kingship. Well, as this story is revealed to us, and we read all of this about uh, David going to a foreign land and 
being raided and having to rely on God yet again and Saul being put to death finally. What does Israel see? As they've been reading through this story of their history and seeing the anointed one being king who has rejected God and who has been rejected by God, Saul, and then another one anointed who is just suffering the whole time and waiting for Saul to die. What are they seeing? What's going to happen to David in the foreign land? That's what they're seeing. They're seeing David choose to go outside of the promised land. What's going to happen to David in the foreign land? Do you remember anyone else who had to run and escape into a foreign land? Abraham. Uh, Joseph got taken to the foreign land. Uh, Naomi ran away to the foreign land. I mean... Again and again, people get taken into the foreign land. What's going to happen to David when he goes into the foreign land? We see that David remains good toward Israel. He does some questionable things that we're not really going to discuss because we don't have an answer to. But he remains good toward Israel. He remains faithful toward Israel. And it seems as though he is still relying on God. As he turns to God for salvation when things get tough. Israel sees that God is delivering David from Saul. And he is delivering David from the Amalekites. But he is shaming Saul. And he is putting Saul to death. Who in Israel would want to follow after the sad path of Saul? after reading about how he dies. What do we see as we read this story? Well, first of all, what I want to notice is, as we've been seeing throughout this, there's a relationship between God and His Anointed One. In the New Testament, we use the phrase Messiah. The Anointed One is the Messiah. There's a relationship between God and His Messiah. Even though His Messiah, His Anointed One, goes into the foreign land, God is still there for Him. God is still with Him and watching over Him. God is still using the Messiah to set the captives free. The picture of those being taken into captivity is repeated over and over again in Scripture. And it's very similar to the Exodus idea. Those who have been taken captive are then set free by this great rescue that comes from God through His Messiah. The Messiah responds with grace toward the foreigner, toward those who are worthless, And those who can do nothing. What an interesting picture that is for us. Of how the Messiah acts toward us. But also look at Saul. This is the outcome of those who become God's enemies. Saul has rejected God. And we've been waiting for justice, right? We've been waiting for His end. And what a poetic end it is. We don't want to become God's enemy. God will do what is just and right in the end. 
against those who reject Him. We also see Jesus in this, right? We, we spoke a little bit about that. The Messiah, the Anointed One, David, Jesus. The Jews sought to stone Jesus like the Jews who saw all those works done in David sought to stone Him. The Lord also strengthens Jesus. When Jesus is tempted, when Jesus is tried, the text tells us that David found strength in the Lord. And that's the same thing that we see Jesus doing. He turns to God and he finds strength. God sends His angels to minister to Him, to strengthen Him. Also, we see that God rescues Jesus from the foreign land. (laughs) But His foreign land is a little different, right? His foreign land is dead. Jesus is dead for three days. And He is resurrected and saved from that death. As David was saved from the land of the Philistines to enter back in to Israel, which is what we see Him doing in 2 Samuel chapter 2. God also uses Jesus to rescue those who are weak and defenseless. That's the whole reason Jesus came. We are all weak, we are all defenseless, and we are all captives to sin. And God has used Jesus to come and to set us free. To wipe out our enemies who hold us captive. Jesus is then gracious toward those who are foreign. Those who are worthless. And those who can do nothing for themselves. That's the kind of man He is. That's the kind of God God is. And there's an interesting passage for us. As we think about this whole text and how everything plays out, remember Ephesians 4 verse 8, which says that He set the captive free and He gave gifts to men. Because that's what David does here. He does that very thing. He sets the captives free and He turns around and gives gifts to men over and over again. So what should we do? When we look at this story and we see how David responds as he's in this trial, as he's suffering, as he doesn't know what to do, everyone's turned against him. We see him turning to God for help. But not just that. David has been on on the run for a decade, for more than a decade. And what have we seen David do time and time again? He has continually let the Lord be his strength. How hard is it for us to keep turning to God over and over and over again when things that we really want to get fixed don't get fixed? Have you ever said a prayer And not have anything done. Nothing's happened. And then you say that prayer again. And nothing happens. And years go by. And you know God is is going to be with you. God is going to help you. God is working in your best interest. But nothing has happened to answer your prayer. Maybe you start thinking, as, as bad things happen to you, well, God's not answering my prayers. He's not helping me at all. I I just got to fix everything myself. 
It's easy for us to get that way, to get self-reliant, to start thinking that we can somehow deliver ourselves or save ourselves and fix all our own problems. And if we can't fix it, well, obviously God's not going to fix it for us. But David tells us that we need to wait on the Lord. We need to be patiently waiting on the Lord. As he, as he speaks to Saul and all his armies, he tells them, I'm, I'm, I'm forced to leave this promised land, but I pray that the Lord does not allow my blood to be spilled on this uh, foreign land that I'm going. He's still holding on to the promises of God. He hasn't had his prayer answered yet. He hasn't yet had his enemy delivered over. But he's still waiting for that promise to be delivered. And whenever he's in that foreign land, he still hasn't received it. When David is down there in Ziklag and the whole town's burned up, his wife and children are gone, he's never been, been made king. He's never received the promises that he thought were coming to him. David turns to the Lord still and asks God to help him in that situation. We don't give up on God. David did not give up on God. God is there. God knows what's going on. And He will help us. Don't doubt God. It may may have been years since you prayed that prayer. Pray it again. God will answer our prayers in His own time. But He will answer our prayers and He will help us in this life. We can trust that He is working things for for our good. One way or another. He is working things for our good. Continue to put your trust in Him. Let Him be your strength all the time. Whatever happens. And also we learn from this that we need to be gracious to everyone. As we see David respond in this way, and we've seen Jesus acting this way toward us, he is just recognizing what God has done toward him. God has shown David immense grace in his life. David would not think that he deserves to be king, or that he deserves the anointing that he has, but he still has received that, and he responds by being gracious, and it seems like he's overly gracious toward others. We need to learn to do the same thing. But that's not easy to do, right? Again, think of David. Over ten years, on the run from Saul, all his his wives, his wives are gone, he's in this burnt down city about to be stoned. He, he has these men follow him. He doesn't know where he's going and he sees this Egyptian and he shows grace to the men. He has these worthless men who were about to stone him earlier speaking bad against those who were too exhausted to go on and he shows grace to them. We need to be gracious toward everybody. Even toward those who we might think are worthless. <laughs> Even toward those who are foreign to us. Who could have been responsible for some of the evil that was done to us. David is gracious toward everyone. Because of the grace that was shown to him. Even on the worst of days. Jesus Himself was gracious to us on the worst day of His life. 
hanging on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So we see in this sermon that David, he relies on God even though he's in a foreign land. We also are in the foreign land right now waiting to be called up to heaven. And we need to rely on God. And we need to be gracious toward those who are around us. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 29 tells us that God is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to Him. Draw near to God. Let God be our strength. And He will help us in our life. If anybody here has not turned to God and and put your trust in Him, relying on Him to be your salvation, your stronghold, He can do that. He will do that. If you need to make a change tonight, please come as we stand and as we sing.